Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. Symbols are an important part of life and they're an important part of of Christianity. Of course, the most well-known symbol maybe in all of the world and certainly to Christians is the cross. It's a symbol of everything that we believe that Jesus died for our sins and we find forgiveness in only him. Another one of the popular symbols in Christianity is the dove. And the dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. One of the first symbols that was used, you have to remember that in the first century, the cross, they would never use a cross as a symbol because it was a sign of a torturous death. You get that, right? It became so significant to us later, an important symbol. But one of the first ones that was used was the fish, the fish. And they would know that they were Christians. They would know that there was a Christian group meeting there when there was persecution. And the, the fish, through its uh, Greek letters, represents Jesus Christ, Son of God and Savior. Symbols are meaningful. There's no, no doubt about it. But symbols point to the power and have no power in themselves. You catch that? Symbols point to the power but have no power in themselves. They are uh, created, okay? We can wear a cross around our neck and that's a wonderful thing. I'm not saying don't do it because it's a wonderful reminder of Jesus's death. It's an opportunity to share his love with someone else But the point of this is, are we wearing a symbol or are we serving the Savior? Because you can wear a symbol and whatever that symbol might be all day and every day and you can have the biggest cross of all around your neck, but are you wearing the cross or are you serving the Savior? See, the symbol should always point us to the power behind the symbol. Now, I want to pick up our story in 1 Samuel. We've been walking through this. I've been doing um, about a chapter a week. I'm going to go faster as we get closer because 31 weeks, I don't even know how long. That would be too long. So we'll jump ahead. But I just keep getting more from each chapter. Just every chapter is something else. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 4 today. Chapter 4 today, we, we saw last week in listening to God how God was preparing a new leader. He had stepped over, in a sense, Eli because of Eli's sin and his son's sin, and God spoke to Samuel, okay? And uh, Samuel would be the priest, the prophet, and the leader of the nation of Israel at that time. Okay, so in 1 Samuel chapter 4, we begin with, and Samuel's words went out to all the people of Israel. So there's good things happening. God is once again speaking to the nation of Israel through Samuel. Watch what happens. At that time, Israel was at war with the Philistines. Okay, so whenever God is doing something, the enemy is working to try to stop that. That's just how it works. Okay, when God is working in our hearts and lives, the enemy is going to do something to try to stop that. So the Israelite army was camped near Ebenezer and the Philistines near Aphek. The Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, killing 4,000 men. Now that's quite a loss for the nation of Israel. The Philistines were the arch enemies, or were the arch enemies of the Israelites. 
And the reason was is because the Israelites came in and took over the promised land, and the Philistines didn't like that. And so they wanted to take back their land. Isn't it interesting that thousands of years later, Israel's still fighting over land because others want it? Okay, that's just another quick interesting point. If you ever looked at a map, if you didn't know where Israel was, you wouldn't be able to find it. And yet it's the center of everything. Isn't that interesting? That has to be God. Anyway, not going to get into all of that, but unless I do, and then I will, but you just don't know. Okay, trying hard to stick to my notes. It's not easy for me. First uh, Samuel chapter four, verses three. Now let's look at that. So 4,000 Jewish soldiers were, uh, were killed. After the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp and the elders of Israel asked, why did God allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? Then they said, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle with us, the New Living Translation says, it will save us from our enemies. Do you see that point there? See, they were more into symbols than substance. And we have to watch and guard against that in our own lives. So they sent men to Shiloh to bring the Ark of the Covenant, verse 4, of the Lord of the Heaven's armies, uh, who is enthroned between the cherubim, Hophni and Phinehas. Okay, let me ask you this. Hophni and Phinehas, good or bad? Bad. How bad? Real bad. Good. The sons of Eli were also there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Certainly the Ark of the Covenant was an important symbol, a sacred symbol. It represented the presence of God. It serves as a a visible symbol of the Lord's heavenly throne. There are cherubim there. There's a mercy seat there. It was a tangible reminder of the Lord's presence, that he was their king among the people. But Israel was not to view the image of God in a way the Philistines view their God, Dagon, which we're going to look at next week, which is the funniest story in all of scripture as far as I'm concerned. The Lord promises that he's not, his presence isn't in the ark, but he will meet with the people at the ark. Do you catch the difference there? See, the ark was a symbol of someone so much greater. God didn't live in that ark. He, he, he can't be contained by a box. Watch. Therefore, he cannot be manipulated by people. You see that? And so the Israelites at this time were doing the exact opposite. God told them that his presence is too great. His glory is too great to be held in a box. But at the Ark of the Covenant, I will meet with you in Exodus 25, 22. I will meet with you there and talk to you. From above the atonement cover, between the gold cherubim that hover over the Ark of the Covenant. From there, I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. See, God does not reside in the Ark. The Ark represents God. So here they have, they were just defeated, and the the elders of the people were saying, you know, why did we lose? Here's what we need to do. Let's get the Ark, and let's go into battle with the ark. But I want you to get a bigger picture here because Eli was old. He wasn't, and I don't mean this, you know, but he wasn't walking with the ark. He was unable to at that point. So they got the ark from Shiloh 
And they had a processional, let's call it a parade for our purposes today. And who was leading this parade with the ark? Hophni and Phinehas, who the Bible says were worthless scoundrels. They stole from the people and slept with the women of the church. And they were in positions of power. So can you just picture the absurdity almost to the point of blasphemy of this image. We were defeated and we lost. Let's bring the ark. And if we just bring the ark, and so here's Hophni and Phinehas, worthless scoundrels. God called them that. Worthless scoundrels leading this procession. We have the ark. See, they had the symbol of God, but they didn't have the presence of God. See? That whole picture in my mind, I never thought of it like this till, till this week, of those two wicked men leading this processional. So when the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant uh, and the Lord, uh, uh, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into camp, their shout of joy was so loud that it made the ground shake. So we have this processional. They had just been defeated, 4,000 men. They see the ark. They see the symbol, and they shout so loud that the earth shook. That's a loud, that's a loud noise. Can I tell you a secret here if you promise to repeat it? The crowd isn't always right. And those that aren't grounded in the ways and the will of God are easily swayed by the emotion of man. Okay? Now, some of you have been serving the Lord. We, we call this, for a long period of time, we call this the eh. And you have in you, through the Holy Spirit, you'll see something and you'll be like, eh. That's a gift of the Spirit. I don't know how you spell it or whatever, what book it's found in, but I'm telling you, it's a gift of the Spirit. And why do you have this, eh, eh, not so sure about this kind of a thing? Because you're rooted in the will and the ways of God and not easily swayed by the crowd, okay? So the crowd isn't always right. You know that, right? In fact, whenever there's a vote in Scripture, I'm pretty sure it's always wrong. I'm pretty sure, Okay? It's, it's, it's always wrong. See, the will of the people isn't necessarily the will of God. And our desire is not to please the people, but to please God. So here they have this procession. The Israelites, because they were far from God themselves, they, they hyped up the crowd with this symbol. The crowd shook. And the Philistines heard this. So in verse 6, you have to see they're camped across. They're ready to do battle. The Philistines said, what's going on? What's all this shouting about in the Hebrew camp? And when they were told it was because the ark of the Lord had arrived, they panicked. The gods. See, they were godless, didn't have any understanding of God. But if we can say they had an excuse because they were pagans, the Israelites had no excuse for not knowing God. Their gods, small g, have come into the camp. This is a disaster. We have never had to face anything like this before. Help, who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? They are the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. Isn't that interesting? They remembered more of Israel's history than Israel. Can I say lived Israel's history? 
Fight as never before, Philistines. If you don't, we will become the Hebrew slaves just as they have been ours. Stand up like men and fight. So the Philistines, verse 10, chapter 4, fought desperately. And Israel was defeated again. And this time the slaughter was great. 30,000 Israelite soldiers died that day. 30,000. The survivors turned and fled to their tents. Israel was routed, annihilated, destroyed. But that's not all. Verse 11, watch with me here. Then we're going to make some points. The ark of God was also captured. And Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were killed. A messenger went back to Eli, if you keep reading, and told him the news. And he was old and blind and overweight. And when he heard the news, he fell backwards, broke his neck, and died. And so God's prophecy was fulfilled on this day. Because he told Eli, you and your sons will die. And your line will stop with you. Your family will not consider... uh, uh, continue on as the priests of Israel. But that's not all. Some of you know that story. So look, we have Hophni and Phinehas killed in battle, as God said. Eli heard the news, and then Phinehas's wife went into labor at that moment. Went into labor, and she died in childbirth. But before she died, now some of you are going to know this, she named that child what? Ichabod, which means what? The Lord has departed. Where is the glory? The glory of God has departed from Israel, and she died. Now, this is a, it's, it's a troubling story. It's a challenging story. It's a story that we can all learn from and learn by. We don't have an ark that we carry around. But can I just tell you the main point of it is be careful that your life is not more about symbols and it's more about substance. That it's not about carrying a cross, it's about living the cross. It's not about the symbol of the cross, it's about serving the Savior of the cross. See, the Israelites had all the ritual in place, but they had no relationship with God. And they didn't just turn their back on God for a day. You have to go back to the book of Judges. For hundreds of years, they had turned their back on God, and yet he proved faithful because he would fulfill his end of the covenant. But Judges teaches that they would just go through this period. They would fall away from God, face judgment. He would send a deliverer. They would turn to him. And then all over again until it ends with with horrific, uh, gory, what, what am I saying here? Brutal death, the book of Judges. Because everyone did what they thought was right in their own eyes. I can't help but think there's a parallel in the United States of America today, that everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. Truth is relative. There is no absolute truth. If it's right for you, then it's right for you, but it might not necessarily be right for me. There is a right and there is a wrong. And that's been placed in our hearts by God. There are spiritual principles that are truth, just like there are natural principles in the world that are true. I use this example all the time. 
well, I don't believe that if I get on the top of the roof, balance myself on the cross up there on one foot and then just lean forward and go, I don't believe anything bad's going to happen. Oh, that's okay. You believe what you want and that's nice because I don't believe in, in anything absolute. Well, the law of gravity says when you jump off the cross, you're going to hit the ground and it's going to hurt. And it's not the falling that hurts, it's the sudden stop that hurts. So you can't break the law of gravity because you don't believe it to be so. You can't break the laws of God and the principles of God because you don't believe that they are for us today. They're still true today. They'll be true tomorrow. And the reason it's so important for us as believers to have substance and not just symbolism because no symbol is going to change anyone's heart, but we have a Savior that will every time. Here was the nation of Israel created to be God's people, created to be light in a lost and dying world. And they exchanged symbolism for substance they exchanged the symbol of the ark for submission to the will of God. Oh, how we need to first and foremost submit ourselves to the will of God. Our prayer at the beginning of the sermon was what? Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. All right, let's make some more points here. After the first defeat... The elders couldn't figure out what went, what went wrong. In their way of thinking, they're thinking we're God's people. We have a covenant relationship with God. He delivered us from Egypt. God said he would be our God, that he would provide for us and he would protect us. What happened? Why did we lose 30,000 men? Why were we routed by these pagans, by these Philistines? God always keeps his end of the covenant. It's our end that isn't always so great. Was God still Israel's God? Yes. But God wasn't their God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Israel was still God's people, but God was not Israel's God. Who became their God? Themselves. They wanted to do what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it without any consequences. Doesn't that all sound very familiar? I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it without any consequences. From Adam and Eve to Cain to the Tower of Babel to the nation of Israel to people today. God is a God of covenant. He will keep his covenant. But look what he said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 2.30. But I will honor those who honor me. And I will despise those who think lightly of me. See? We don't talk about this much. But God's judgment is coming. And he will honor those that honor him. And he will judge those that despise him. And I'm going to be a little strong here, okay, because I want you to get this. If you're sitting here today, you know better. Just like Israel knew better. 
And we as a church, our church, the church, whatever, need to stop looking so much at what the world is doing and start looking at ourselves. It's easy to get a flashlight and shine it at someone else's sins. It's harder to look in the mirror. And what is my, what is my belief system based on? What is my uh, religion based on? God says, I will honor those that honor me. And I will despise those who think lightly of me. And he's going to bring his will to pass. And however you want to look at it, however popular it is or isn't going to be, when Jesus comes and he establishes his throne back here on earth, he is going to be the ultimate judge. And he will elevate the humble and he will reject the proud. And those that have uh, received him, he will receive them. And those that have rejected him, he will reject them. And that should do two things in our lives. That should make us thankful for the grace of God. And it should make us tremble for those that don't know him. Trembling to the point that it causes us to do something about it. God asked Eli, why do you honor your sons more than me? See, whose, whose fault was the defeat? Not God's. He said, if you honor me, I'll honor you. All of Joshua, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. Then Joshua was gone, the judges came. Everybody did what they wanted to do. Now God is preparing a way back. All right, secondly, they went back to what worked before. Okay, a little leadership principle here. Whenever any organization struggles or is going through a certain period, a majority of people won't want to go back to what worked before. And guess what? That never works. And here's how it plays out. I don't want yesterday's move of God. I want today's move of God. See? I want today's move of God. But every organization, you can see it in sports. Sports team goes through a difficult time. What do they do? They fired a coach because they didn't like him because he was instituting too many changes. And then as soon as things go south, they bring him back, right? But it's not always the coach's problem. It's an organizational problem because they want to go back to the way things worked before. Watch this play out. Watch it play out in business. Watch it play out in people's lives. As soon as they face an obstacle or a battle, they want to go back to what worked before because what's new is scary. Okay? But in the church realm, and I'll repeat it again, I don't want yesterday's revival. I want a move of God's spirit today for today. When I was in college, I was the class president. I was senior class president, basically because no one else wanted it, and I was too stupid to say no. But I got to preach the last senior sermon at, at uh, it was Valley Forge Christian College at that time. It's the University of Valley Forge now. And I preached this message. This is in 1988. And I still hold on to this, a new generation with a new anointing, not a different anointing. It's the same anointing of the spirit, but I don't want the anointing of my forefathers because he called them to do something different than what he's calling me to do. They lived in their time and they needed it for their time. We live in our time and we need it for our time. Same Holy Spirit, okay? 
but we need a fresh move of God's spirit. See, we don't want to go back to the way things were. We want to be where God wants us to be. I think it's Ecclesiastes 3.10. You can look it up and correct me, but it's somewhere in Ecclesiastes where it says it's not wise to reflect on the old days. It's not wise to reflect on the old days. And I'll tell you why. Because now I'm, I'm old now. I am, I am legally allowed to go to seniors ministry. For 22 years, I snuck in illegally by God's grace and Stella's grace because I wasn't old enough, but I was the pastor, and so she would still let me come. Now I am legally old enough to attend seniors ministry, and I want to propose at our next business meeting coming up in March, this is the motion, I would like to raise the age of seniors ministry now to 56, okay? To 56. But we need a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that's going to transform our lives and transform other lives. If not for a fresh move of the Holy Spirit, we rely on the symbols of the past and not the substance of God's presence for today. Here's why it's not wise to look back and glorify days of old. Number one, those days weren't that great. You just think they were. Can I be just up front with you? Both of you, I'm going to do it anyhow. You might as well just get along with it. Oh, if we could just go back to the, you know, the 50s or whatever. Most of our remembrance of that is through old TV shows that are fake. And the 50s weren't so great if you were black, handicapped, or had some other minority issue if you weren't part of that. So be careful when you say, oh, I want to get back to, I want to get back to. Be careful. It's not wise. God, I want a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. The old days weren't as great as you think they were. We just glorify that. And I do the same. Listen, I want to be 25 again too. I want to have whatever knowledge I might have now in a 25-year-old body. But I don't live my life like, oh, I wish I was 25 again. I wish I was 25 again. No, I'm 55 years old. I'm thankful that God has given me strength, breath. Hopefully I've gained some wisdom through the years. And God, I don't want to go back to when I was 25. I want to live as a 55-year-old as you want me to live today. Because there's new people to reach. There's more methods to try. The message never changes. But I want to make sure, God, that my life isn't based in symbolism, but substance. I want to be as filled with the Holy Spirit now as I've ever been. And I've told you this a thousand times through the years. If you want to go back to the way you used to serve God then you're not serving God today the way he wants to, you to serve him. I used, I'm sorry, almost started preaching. I just want this day to be your best day, not yesterday. That's my desire. Today God has something for you. Today God wants to use you. 
No, I can't do everything that I used to do. But I'm telling you, God's got something for me today, and I'm going to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you have breath, then God has a purpose for you. You know, my family's been through difficult times lately. My brother Tom passed away unexpectedly, 69 years old. We thought he was in good health, had COVID, went into the hospital on a Monday and died on Tuesday. Shocking, shocking. They found out that he had scar tissue in his lungs and the COVID just made it worse. It made an existing problem worse that he never knew about. It was probably, he didn't smoke. They asked his wife, was he never smoked a day in his life? But he was around cars and, and you know, all, you know, many different things that could affect the lungs. And my mom's, my mom is still heartbroken, as you can imagine. I, I don't know that there's anything worse I've not experienced and I don't want to than losing your child. And some of you have, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's the worst. Because there's, no there's no greater love on earth, in my estimation, than a mom's love for her children. It's not greater than God's love, but I don't know any love that's greater than a mom for her children. And that child needs something, that mom is there. And somebody comes after that child, ooh, that mom is there. Am I right? And to lose that child is the worst. So my mom's 90 years old, and she says, why am I still here? I'm ready. I've served the Lord. Why is Tom gone and I'm still here? And the answer, and I don't say this flippantly, I, I mean this. I don't know. But here's what I do know, that as long as you have breath, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Here's what I don't know, why it was Tom's time. Here's what I do know, that mom at 90, Randy at 55, and you fill in your age, while you still have breath, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. My mom was watching this morning. She watches all of our services. I'm her second favorite preacher, I found out. If you... Watched on Wednesday night, my brother joined us. I found out that he's her favorite preacher now. It was hurtful, but I'm, I'm processing it. But she watches every week. And she told me when we closed, after I closed the service and I was still talking to her on the, the echo thing, she said, oh, I'm so excited. This is 90 years old. I'm so excited. I have nine women coming over for Bible study on Wednesday. While you still have breath, they brought the ark out because it worked before. It worked for Moses. It worked for Joshua. Why did it work for them? Because they were seeking the will of God and not their own. I'm going to close with this. They were seeking the will of God and not their own. They wanted to defeat the Philistines, but they didn't want God. They wanted God to do something for them, but they didn't want to know God. 
They wanted God to love them, but they didn't love God. And God is too big to reside in a box, and he's too glorious to be manipulated by us. Paul wrote to Timothy, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. We learned it as they had a form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. Symbolism over substance. Symbols are great. They're wonderful, but they're no substitute for submission. If you want victory in your home and victory in your spiritual life and victory over sin and victory over your circumstances, submit to God. Give up your will and give in to his will. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And I'm going to tell you something. This is important too. Another secret that I want you to shout from the rooftops. Rooftops, God's will is better than ours. And the great theologian Garth Brooks once said, <laughs> I want to thank you for unanswered prayers. And all people that have lived any length of time say Amen. To that. His will is better than yours. Let's stand together. I want to share with you a prayer. And then uh, actually, Ray, you can start coming back in your team. Appreciate it. Here's a prayer. I wrote it. It's not fancy, but it was from my heart. And I hope it's your heart as well. Okay. Actually, let me have you bow your heads. And as I say it out loud, let it just be your prayer in your heart. Dear God, I don't know what, actually, let me have you repeat it because I, I broke it into smaller sentences. Dear God, I don't know what to do. Say that. Dear God, I don't know what to do. I am broken, unsure, weak, but willing. I am broken, unsure, weak, but willing. I am willing, Lord, to follow you. I am willing, Lord, to follow you. I am willing to submit to your word and your will. I am willing to submit to your word and your will. I promise I won't just wear the cross, I'll live the cross. I promise I won't just wear the cross, I'll live the cross. Willingly dying to self so I can live for you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.